Cinema St. Louis's The Lens is now the takeup.com, a place to gather after the film is over. I'm your host, Joshua Ray, and fear not, all your favorite episodes of The Lens featuring all your favorite guests are still here in your feed, just a little refocused. Stay subscribed to us here for future episodes, and you can follow along for new ones and more at the Takeup STL. joining us on The Lens, a Cinema St. Louis podcast. I'm Joshua Ray, programmer and critic, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Andrew Wyatt, the managing editor of Cinema St. Louis's film site, The Lens. Hey, Andrew. Hello. While you can find our words at The Lens on cinemastlouis.org, every other week we take turns picking a film to focus on in our current miniseries. On this episode, we have a guest, Katie Carter of Idiot the Movies, has selected Strawberry Mansion, her pick in the Gems of 2022 series. First, we're gonna cover some new releases by way of the St. Louis Film Critics Association award winners. And after the lens, we're gonna do known four of some of those winners in the rules of the game. Finally, Ender and I have one more thing. And Brendan Fraser, that actually sort of surprises me and it's like for the f- scale that it's on it's doing relatively well at the box office and I hate to say it but I feel like the film is also sort of interested in this in the spectacle of it oh. I do you know what I mean yeah. and that's very Aronofsky anyway it's like he wants to wallow in these things for the sake of wallowing in them. And I very rarely feels like he gets at the heart of anything. The setup is that the dude is an English teacher. The very first thing that you see is he's in a, a Zoom or an online class. But it's set in 2016 in the lead up of the um, election. Huh? Right. Right. And then... <laughs> And then he is the only one in the Zoom room or whatever that doesn't. And then it comes out and you see him and he's, you know, a, a large dude and has very poor health. And the um, thing I wasn't aware of is that the character's gay too. So there's a lot of... Um, yeah, kind of the, like, the original play won a, like a Glad Media Award that year, the year that it came out. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, as far as like representation, I would get it. Um, but it's also very old school gay misery stuff. I don't know. There's like a lot of sort of very theatrical metaphor stuff happening. Um, very literary metaphor thing. I mean, he's talking about Moby Dick um, as a text, but also sort of how his situation relates to that. Um, so that's why, you know, we're allowed to all at the whale yeah really awful time and not even like in its seriousness i don't know it felt exploitative in a in a really odd way what 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 about you i think you probably liked it a little bit more than me i saw your review well i think i like it less and less the more that i sit with yeah Yeah, i mean i think the way that he frames some of these 
shots of the Brendan Fraser character, it's very much like calling attention to his weight, it feels like, and kind of making it a spectacle, even though they say that the film isn't really about that. And that just didn't really sit with me well. And I don't like most of the supporting characters either. Like I know Sadie Sink was getting some praise for her performance, but I think she's very shrill and one yeah. note. Exactly. Yeah. There's one thing to do. And just that's, you know, bitch daughter. I'm like, God. <laughs> it, everyone in this is so representational. And um, I get, you know, that's fine. But when you get, when you start putting it in front of a film camera where, you know, the whole theory is that things become extra real, right? Yeah. He, he lingers on the body and it's not interested in how that relates the inside and then the the very last shot is like come on man uh. <laughs> and i won't spoil spoil it but i guess he's fine in it it's less about what he's doing and more about how he's doing it that's why he's rising to the top of sort of conversation above the film which it doesn't seem like a lot of people are coming but or enjoying but part of the marketing was was why why won't they show this character why yeah so people had seen this movie and but the marketing was just being extra cagey about showing the character and so it half of it is like maybe they were afraid but i don't think that was it i think it was more cynical than that i think they knew that people would be fascinated to see what he looked like. And I think it's working. Yeah. Yeah. It's and the anyway, year, it's the well, year of spectacle as a theme. Yeah. Filmmaking, yeah, but right? this one, it doesn't, I don't know. This one isn't supposed to be about that. It doesn't. No, no, like I, I, I think almost all, like, you know I mean? yeah, I think almost like inadvertently is what I'm saying. Like, yeah. There's, that's the key word for like 2022 in film, I feel like, is spectacle. It really is. I think you're right. But he did win the St. Louis Film Critics Association Award for Best Actor, which Andrew and I are members. You know what? I didn't even introduce our guest. Oh, my God. Katie Carter, Katie at the Movies. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm, I'm sorry I like blindsided you with a whale talk. <laughs> telling people who you are thank you for coming thanks for having me on so we're going to just go through some of the winners in our now showing segment usually we talk about some new releases and i think this will this will cover some things right best film andrew it's your movie man oh everything your, everywhere yeah it's your jam <laughs> yeah. katie are you also an everything everywhere person yeah i love it it's one of my top of the year as well. We had nominated uh, Women Talking, Banshees of Inishirin, Elvis, and She Said. And if you had asked me six months ago, or told me six months ago that I would have voted for Elvis, right? Oof. I know you hate I don't hate Elvis. I, it's a mess, though. I don't. I don't know what's, what's going on mess. with Elvis. Glorious mess. What about Elvis, Katie? I guess I'm kind of 
in between you guys on? I mean, it feels like exactly the sort of Elvis biopic that Baz Luhrmann the Bones aren't really taken with what I didn't expect from it, which was about, well, spectacle and the buying and selling of race in America and celebrity. I thought it was actually pretty sharp. Andrew's looking at me like, you're reaching there. She no, I mean, it, it's trying to do those things. Who is not working, though? Yeah, I don't think the it's... Whole, <laughs> the whole thing is so tin-eared to me. I don't know. Well, it did not win. It did win Best Soundtrack from us. Probably our silliest award. I I did not nominate anything this year because I couldn't think. I'm production like, oh, design. Okay. It also won for production oh. design and costume design. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. Some bigger ones. Sarah Polly, Women Talking, which I don't want to get too in-depth with because I know it's one of your favorite films of the year, Andrew, and it's not coming out in St. Louis for a little bit. So Yeah, we um, want to, I want to hold on to it for review, but yeah. Katie, do you have any quick women talking thoughts? Um, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of there too. It's hard to it's it's hard to not like or be mad at anything in it. But yeah, I've got I think probably more mixed feelings than anything. But we'll wait to get Andrew's hackles up. I I I do think it's like for me, it's clearly Polly's like best. I feel like it's a good win for her because it's it feel like it's clearly her best directorial effort to date and I'm a fan of hers I like I've liked her work previously but this feels like it's it's just sort of reaching up to it sort of how I felt about like Greta Gerwig Little Women like I like Lady Bird fine enough but Little Women to me felt like it's it's up here it's another it's another level and I feel like this is Polly sort of reaching another level as a director so I feel I'm glad with I'm glad about this win regardless about the film as a whole so now I I'm not trying to take us on a tangent the Barbie teaser trailer <laughs> i shouldn't have mentioned gonna go again you shouldn't have <laughs> did you all um have a spiritual awakening when you saw that <laughs> so I, I went on oh. kmov to review avatar and and page uh halsey the the uh, uh what are they called the people anchors anchor mm, she's like hold on, I have a surprise for you. I want your reaction about this. And I was like, did she just, did she just gay bash me on TV? <laughs> you just outed me on TV. She's like, I know you're excited for this. It's actually because we had talked about it before. And yes, I did uh, flame out on TV about it. Um, <clears throat> I think more, I think more trailers in the modern day should do like just straight up parodies that aren't actually in the movie. We don't and get enough of that nowadays. <laughs> very smart about it, too, and very cute. And I loved that. And I think we got enough glimpses of the film itself to really keep me going for the next. It looks like it's going days. full like Josie and the Pussycats in terms of like <laughs> what it's doing. Well, and like bigger than that, it looks like Busby Berkeley shit. And I'm yeah. loving it. But we gave uh, Michelle Yeoh Best Actress. I think that's a great win. I, I I don't think it would surprise anyone to say that I I voted for the other Michelle. <laughs> that's okay. It's fine. I want Michelle to win the Oscar. Is what whichever I Michelle it is. <laughs> right. Kehu Kwan for everything, everywhere, all at once was supporting actor. I love our nomination for Andrew Brower 
in She Said, someone who's not getting a lot of attention because it's not like an attention getting performance, but it's it's the um, Jason Robards in All the President's Men. It, it's the editor role where he's just like business and so smart about it and like still human. Yeah, but like it's a real strong, like he has this very strong presence in the script. Yeah. Like he's, and he and just doesn't suffer fools. And it's just the rare character where it's not like an editor screaming at his journalists. You know, it's an editor who has their backs in every possible way, which is kind of a cool thing to see. Again, yeah, in the way he handles Weinstein and his people <laughs> is just like incredible. Also, like Carrie Condon for uh, Banshees and Sheeran, supporting actress. I'm not like a huge fan of that film, but I do love her performance in it and all of the performances. But so fucking boring. <laughs> so is that is that um, like an acronym? Is it? Would people really say fucking? Like, yeah. Don't you ever watch Father Ted? <laughs> sh- absolutely. Look at me. I'm <laughs> Father Ted. Whatever that is, number one. <laughs> It's an Irish sitcom that was popular in like the 80s and 90s. Gotcha, gotcha. No. Best Ensemble is Women Talking. Um, But uh, other nominees, Glass Onion, Banshees, Everything Everywhere, and Fablemans, you know, choose me or find me on a different day and I'd probably choose any of those. Adapted Screenplay was She Said. Cinematography. That's a a neat one because I don't think anybody else is really, like that feels like unique to our org. Yeah, and I tried to just pass right by it because I didn't want to say that's dumb. <laughs> well, we talked about she said last week and strength very strengths and weaknesses. Part of the film is the screenplay <laughs> and the uh, the inability to sort of corral everything that's going into that film into something that coalesces, coheres. Um, cinematography was Banshees, editing, everything, everywhere, all at once, production design, Elvis, costume design that way too. Best visual effects. Can we have this conversation? Is Avatar an animated film? No. Why not? Is the Polar Express an animated film? The Polar Express is. Avatar is not, I would say. What's the... What is Marcel the Shell animated? It's mixed, right? Like Roger Rabbit, it's mixed. Yeah. Katie, what's what's the difference? I'm not setting anyone up in this. I just I simply don't I don't get it. Avatar the way of water is a cartoon. And I'm not, I say that with a, a little bit of that. Yeah. I mean, well, I think when you have like real people doing motion capture and not like animators either working with like drawings or working within like like models on a computer program I think there's a big difference there yeah I guess I get that but then like then Polar Express isn't animated though because isn't that all mocapped yeah but Polar Express was 100% animated I think the thing particularly with Way of Water is that there's a lot of compositing of real and animated elements together is there? Yeah. Because most of it just looked, wasn't it, most of it just CGI to me. Like, like, well, most 
I mean, there's a lot more humans in Wave Water, I think, than the original. I, I, I think the original, you can make the argument that it's live action much more, much more strongly than you can the, the first one. Yeah, I guess I haven't seen the original in a long time, but I thought there were fewer humans. Anyway, I'll probably. <laughs> I mean, we could we could we could have this argument forever, right? Like there there are there was a woman who was a, a an actress who was the reference for the original Snow White. That's why she looks like why Snow White looks so good in the original Disney film is because they had they had a real live women doing reference that they they drew over stills of her to get like her dancing and movement down right. So like true. what That's true. the the borders are have always been the borders have never not been fuzzy. Let's just say that. Yeah. Also. You know, to give Guillermo del Toro credit, you know, he did that. He's got that uh, MoMA show right now and mm. the the, the uh, gates or whatever have a sign above it to say yeah, animation is a, a medium or a mode, not a genre. But I'm just, just curious, <laughs> just being a little, mm -hmm, a little curious. That score was Women Talking. That's from Hilda Guana. <laughs> the Joker cow. <laughs> Soundtrack Elvis. Action film Top Gun Maverick. No surprise there. Best comedy. Uh, weird. The Al Yankovic story. I hadn't seen that one. I definitely voted for Jackets Forever. Best horror film. Nope. Animated Marcel. International Decision to Leave. Documentary feature All Beauty and the Bloodshed. Best scene. The End of the Fablemans. It sounds like the last. I don't know, five categories were chosen by Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say it sounds like you'd be happy with all those. Yes. I I don't know when all the beauty and the bloodshed is opening. Were were either of you able to see it yet? I think it's excellent. I think it's my documentary of the year for sure. Right now it's sitting at number two film of the year for me. I uh wow. it to me, is the most elegant refinement of a traditional doc form that also does some very sneakily subversive and creative things with the form that I have ever seen. But then there's also the, the text of the film is so rich. And it's a film that is very economic in that it raised a lot more questions than it answered. And I don't think that's a negative. I wanted it to be a like docu-series, but that it isn't is its strength. And it has like the biggest gut punch when you find out where the title comes from. Yeah. Anyway, we'll talk more about it when it finally hits the screens here. All right, well, I think we should get to something that I don't have an opinion on yet. I am still very much processing Katie's pick of Strawberry Mansion. Katie's looking like, uh-oh, what did I do? No, <laughs> we're gonna have a lot of fun. Arrived at the home of Arabella Isadora on September 22nd, 2035. I'm here to perform a preliminary audit. It appears we have no tax records for you or your property. Oh. And I couldn't help but notice all the tapes have been not updated to the new format. You know, the air sticks became mandatory seven years ago. I guess I lost track of time. I will begin my audit immediately. 
last episode, we talked about Coconata's After Yang. That was the Do You Like Apples Boys uh, pick for their underrated film of 2022. I don't know. I think Katie dug a little deeper. She she dug and she dug, and what came out was a Strawberry Mansion, a film that was on my radar, but somehow like sort of missed the release of it and when I went back after you suggested that we talk about this one it seemed like everybody had seen it and absolutely loves this movie um Drew Edelstein a contributor to the lens it's a five star for him and then I I don't see I saw one person who loves to be a contrarian who did not like this film still processing it and I need help and I don't know if it's because I'm particularly tired this weekend but I, I'm really excited to talk about it Be- and that seems weird because it is a total as we like to say just vibes movie but there's a there's a lot going on in it too not to say that it's only that but Katie as our guest the first thing you have to do is justify your pick why are we watching this really weird candy-coated dream nightmare scape with some talking rats. Talking rats are my favorite. I mean, I just wanted to force you guys to watch something super strange. <laughs> <laughs> we I love, so, we love strange. I pick a movie and have more power than I should ever have. But um... <laughs> I'll tell you who appreciates it the most was my boyfriend. I watched it. And, and we, I watched it with him and he was like, I, I was so into that movie. And I'm like, I was in uh, like enraptured by it, but completely befuddled and have some mixed feelings about some things I need to work through. But you do love this movie. I do, yeah. I mean, I think it's really strange, but it's not it's not like random. Like all of these weird occurrences that happen in this dream world of this film, they tie back to this real world conflict and and have meaning and this connection between the two leads, this love story that forms between them, I think is very poignant and all the weird stuff just enhances it for me and kind of makes it resonate even more. I think it's great. I don't know if I 100% know everything that's going on in it either. I've rewatched it twice this weekend. So, (laughs) but no, I really, I really love it. I just think it's a really beautiful love story. Yeah, that was the thing that was very surprising to me because as it begins, you think it's sort of this, you know, hipster filmmakers want to do something wacky and they've got a little bit of money. <laughs> and so they'll stretch a dollar as far as they can. And I mean, it's and not not that. <laughs> it is definitely that. But what I'm saying is what surprised me is what shades they were able to capture with it and one of those being like a, an overriding like melancholy romanticism that I definitely didn't expect it really reminds me of some of the lesser known works or even you know the biggest known by Michel Gondry in you know finding a kind of truth in dreams and like a, a recognizable reality in dreams and in like manifest and latent content. 
I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get Freudian and say that. Ew, sorry. <laughs> I'm going to lead a little bit from your review, katieatthemovies.com. Sorry to put you on the spot like this. Strawberry Mansion is a deeply strange film that Bernie and oddly directors have peppered with a plethora of visual effects from animation to charmingly clunky character masks. There are all manner of strange sights to be seen in Strawberry Mansion from Trouble's anthropomorphic, oh fuck, I can never say this word, anthropomorphic mice shipmates to frog waiters to Bella's attraction to be seemingly made of crass. Um, the future feels like a place outside of time. Preble dresses like a 40 noir, 40s noir protagonist, while the aesthetic of some of the sets look like they're from the 80s. And characters like Buddy, who are pushing products, come off as more contemporary. And while directors shot the movie digitally, they performed a 16-millimeter transfer after the fact that gives the film an older, more textured appearance. The hallucin hallucinatory visuals are perfect for a story that largely takes place in a dream state, but it's a heartfelt it's the heartfelt relationship at its core that makes the film more to you. I think that's a getting at the technical aspects of it and that manifest content of it gets you the vibe of what's going on. All right, Andrew, what's this movie about? <laughs> well, I think what, what's most interesting to me is that having read the log line first, like if you just, if you just had the first like five to 10 minutes of the film's setup explained to you, not actually seeing it like it feels like a sort of Cronenberg dystopian sci-fi premise right like, mm -hmm. uh the idea that like so in this in this near future slash retro future there's the government taxes people for the content of their dreams it, th this is a thread that's like focused on early on and it's kind of drops off in importance as the plot focuses on other things but that's sort of the, into something else i think yeah that, but that's sort of the setup is that the government has the but not only does the government tax your dreams but let's back up the government there's a technological ability to record and peer into people's dreams and then upload them to the cloud presumably people can go in and spy on them or review them so our main character preble is basically a futuristic irs dream agent who goes in and like audits people's dreams to ensure that they haven't that they're paying the adequate taxes. So the whole the whole premise has a weird sort of dystopian, like you say, the, so a little Cronenberg, a little Gondry. Um, I was also reminded a little bit of Vin Vendor's Until the End of the World, which is also about dreams, technology that can record dreams. So like on paper, it reads like dystopian sci-fi, right? <laughs> but like, as, as we've suggested so far, it morphs into something completely different. It's very like, it's a very Canadian film. I'll say that. Like it feels <laughs> like, it feels very Canadian indie to me. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Am I wrong? Does this not feel like an essentially- yeah, I'm laughing because you're somehow right. Like Canadian it's the indie. Pithy way to describe this. <laughs> I also thought a lot about, um, just in terms of its surrealism and the tone of its surrealism and also its romanticism, I thought a lot about the Canadian filmmaker Matthew Rankin, and he had a film out a couple of years ago called The 20th Century. Mm -hmm. That's like a very stylized, surreal, ostensibly a biopic of a Canadian prime minister, but not at all really. Kind of more of a Guy Madden surrealism. Yeah? Yeah, that movie was crazy. Yeah, it's great. I, I liked it a lot. But it has but it has that similarly like, oh, this is Canadian indie absurdism vibe to it. 
And like Josh said, the, like the the I didn't realize it was post. I thought it was actually shot on 16 mil. I didn't realize it was like post processing to get it to 16 mil because it definitely has that sort of grainy vibe to it. It has that grainy look to it, and the sort of the very first shot of the film, right? Is that is we're inside Pebble, Pebble's dreamscape, and he's his dreamscape. In contrast, I mean, we should say that the film revolves. We're kind of getting our head of ourselves. The film revolves around Pebble's relation, Pebble's relationship with this woman. Bella, who's an older woman who has sort of archived all her dreams onto an older VHS Betamax slash style technology, and he has to pour over these thousands of tapes to look through her dreams. In contrast to Bella's dreamscapes, which are kind of like expansive, they're often outdoors, they're often very green. Preble's Preble's dreamscape is this like strawberry milk color, pink, uniformly pink, tiny one-room house that he's sort of trapped in. And in the context of the film, he's constantly being visited by what spoilers. This is a spoiler cast. What we know is now like corporate advertisements that are being sort of inserted under the guise of Captain Kelly's chicken. Yeah. A friend who's dropped, who just dropping by with all the things that he needs and the things he needs just happen to be like fried chicken and red pop. I don't have Captain Kelly's, but I sure want it. It looks good. (laughs) <laughs> it doesn't look good. Yeah, I want that extra crispy. Is what he ordered. I did um, like. I did like their their tagline. It's your plucky day. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, uh, at the like the kind of climax of everything when it goes ad overload and it just pops up in the sky in the middle of everything. I'm like, I love that little guy. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think you got it. One key thing that this film is also after is that. She's sort of evading her, well, she's doing tax evasion by an old technology, a retired technology. The new tech is essentially a flash drive that you upload your dreams into the cloud. So there's an interesting tension in the the text of it. The, The mechanism is that, you know, she's not using contemporary technology they're also seemingly as filmmakers interested in the meeting of like an old aesthetic by using new technology. There's a lot of sort of it just in a single frames where a lot of that comes in, not only because they've used digital cameras, then processed it on 16 millimeter. And then of course, you know, made a digital digital transfer of it for us to see. There are like very physical effects that are happening like handmade things like what katie wrote about the the masks or the heads of like the the mouse rat uh, companions on the ships but even within that there's a lot of kind of digital trickery and like that also looks sort of handmade and that's not a backhanded compliment i think that's that's a plus for the movie is that the even the digital has a unique texture to it in this it's not avatar going to say looks like, like very much how shit. the movie has all these like anti-corporate themes just that handmade aesthetic kind of feels like a pushback against this big blockbuster filmmaking where everything feels you know the spectacle is like gathering a lot of ip in one place not like i mean there are some very there are some willingly self-consciously fakey effects in the film but I, I love the mask. Actually, I think the masks are really cool. Like the, the there's a wolf mask that's actually very frightening looking, and the, the rat masks really work. There's a whole body sort of demonic, the blue demon character. There's this whole body sort of 
Krampus style demon thing that's very you know, I mean it's obviously a costume it's obviously a mask but it's still intimidating and it looks good it kind of looks like a Navi like I'm not being facetious <laughs> and just bring up like it did remind me of that and while they were like being sort of David Lynch's rabbits in a room and oh my favorite little detail is the TV that those blue demons have did you notice there's a book on top of the TV that's just titled Bed Bugs? <laughs> that's that's like this movie really does get dreams <laughs> in the way the they work with just the, the sort advertisement of... for salt. Have salt. <laughs> I love that. The ad for salt is so good. Yeah, because that's how dreams work. I mean, you're like processing memory and data, and they come out as narrative because that's sort of how our brains work so while what ends up happening is that this character seems to like two dream worlds seem to collide as he's exploring hers and he gets her she passes away midway through the film and her family comes and they have ties to this technology well they essentially created it right because they're the like biggest marketing firm and so they're in deep with government and getting these ads delivered into dreams and so this guy's going through her dreams and sort of discovering things but he gets whacked with a bowling pin <laughs> yeah <laughs> in the middle of a dream and then is just knocked out stuck in dream world where bella the dream version of bella is a younger this actress is so familiar to me. I'm like, and they fall in love. And there was already sort of an interesting relationship between the two of them seemed to be forming in the small interactions that they had when he arrived to audit her. And she seemingly has some sort of awareness of what is going to happen or what's going on am i like reading things wrong and i think you're right because she when they're talking about her family and her son i think she mentions a second husband named jim his name is james so there's i think that she knows something is going to happen there like i don't know i guess that's kind of where like the dream space and time and everything gets a little muddy and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I didn't realize that there is that time is a flat circle aspect to it. But now that you say that, that's pretty cool. That there is like, there is this thing where like the film sets up the rules of its limited rules of its sci-fi universe. And then when Pebbly meets Bella, it breaks them almost immediately because what, what makes Bella interesting to Pebbly and us as the viewers is that she has some awareness of him as like, normally I get the impression that the auditors are just sort of passive observers. When they go into these dreams, recorded dreams, they're sort of there as these hologram ghosts and they're just taking note of things and nobody can interact with them. But pretty much right away, we get the sense that Bella can sense him or in some way interact with him. And then even more worryingly, when we flip it around and Prebly has his own dreams at night, aspects of her dreams start to intrude on his own sort of normal dreams. So like, it, it's interesting how the film sets up the sci-fi conceit of the recorded dreams 
and then immediately breaks us to, to make it clear how Bella is a unique character. Yes. Sorry. I Yes. What you were saying is yes. <laughs> I got lost at the end of it because I made a discovery on IMDb that the people who play Bella's brother and sister-in-law Constance Shulman, who's recognizable as like character actress, she's been on Orange is the New Black, she was in Fried Green Tomatoes, recently in Funny Pages, if you guys saw that, Owen Klein's Funny Pages, she was on Search Party, and then the uh, the brother, he's been on House of Cards, he was one of the four, not, yeah, one of the four folks in, um, yeah, Reed Bernie, Mass. character actor, he's been around forever, yeah. yeah, they are married, I did not know that. Then I did not know that they are the parents of director Albert Bernie. <laughs> so I just got down this hole who also made Silvio. Like I should have known all this. Yeah, we were talking about that when you were when you were on break, that like that was the only other film that I had heard about from the previous day, which I haven't even seen. Have you seen Silvio? I haven't. No, but I'm familiar with Silvio because of Vine. Like, so this Nepo baby made it through Vine and then <laughs> hired his character actor parents to make this movie. Well, now I'm back in a kind of down direction. On <laughs> oh. no, I think I was listening. Andrew, what you were saying is one of the keys to it in that the relationship, how, how are we to process the love story of this? <laughs> That's the I don't, question, right? I, like it starts yeah. out in a little Harold mod, right? <laughs> a little, not a little bit. I mean, it's not as extreme, but right. it is sort of like, you know, she has this awareness of what's going to happen and, and, and all that. But isn't the love story pretty much exclusively in his head? Like maybe I'm trying to take it too literally because it, it doesn't need to be all that, but... I don't know, it gets at something in this film that it definitely has the, okay, so the um, guy who plays, what is the, is the character's name? Pebble, Preble? Preble. Preble, interesting. And Tucker Audley is a co-director and his IMDB photo, if I may describe it, I think would give you the vibe of this. He is wearing skinny black jeans, with a blue button-up with a t-shirt underneath and a bolo tie. And he also has like a large plaid pattern um, jacket over that, longer hair, scruffy beard, and a beanie that is just rusting on top. Yeah. Feels feels so, very feels like he like is a Portlandia character, not a real person. Yeah, so a bit of it is like that. A bit of it's sort of yeah, like kind of sweet hipster stuff. Um, but I think what's good about it is that all of that is sort of upended by having like a, a, a genuine thrush of emotion. But I don't know. I guess I'm just having a difficult time squaring I mean, all that. The film doesn't really give us, I mean, because it's 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 technically sci-fi, but it's not hard sci-fi, right? Like the, the sci-fi is just a conceit. So we're left to our own devices about to what extent young Bella is a real consciousness or person or entity inside the dreams. I mean, clearly Prebly feels an emotional, a deep emotional connection to her 
she quote unquote real? I mean, that's a those are the kinds of questions that sci-fi films have asked over and over again. I think the film isn't is interested in those in the details of that is is it interested in the earnest romanticism that's being displayed that probably very clearly feels like I mean, in a sense this is a manic pixie dream girl film in a, in a sense right yeah kind of that yeah. bella is there not like the romantic connection is not really about how well suited they are for each other because it's really about breaking preble out of the place he's in and mm. opening him up to larger experience i mean she she clocks him almost immediately right and starts asking him these very pointed questions about like whether he should open himself up more to other people and so forth whether he's going to be you know that he's he's used his professionalism and his job as a way to sort of close himself off from other human beings, and this is a, the, the story is essentially the story of breaking him open a little bit. Like Katie, you, it sounds like you responded really strongly to like the film's romanticism and its depiction of this sort of relationship. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I, mean, I feel like I almost feel like even before they meet, we kind of get this indication that he's on the same wavelength as her just in like his style it's different from this very like high-tech world that he's and government that he's working for like he wears like a suit and a hat and he drives this old car and yeah retro car yeah yeah so I mean it already feels like he's kind of on the same wavelength as her he just said that knowing that so I like I like that a lot. I mean, there's a there's some really cool sequences. I think in the in the second half where he he's kind of moving through a series of dream or storybook idioms, trapped on a desert island with her, and it and but to him it's like this idyllic place where they could just while away the days and years. And you get the sense that there's a very like inceptiony time dilation thing here, which is you know true to real dreams where he's like unconscious for a few minutes when the guy beams him on the head, but in his brain it's like years decades centuries in this dream world there's a sequence and then the closer he is to waking up the things get more compressed too and yeah and but then he's moving through these like series of fantastical idioms right like the he's on the ship captain ship <laughs> he's he's in this like horrible dungeon place with the blue demon where young bella is trapped like it, it's almost he's moving through these very like almost terry gilliam situations got a little time bandits vibe there in the second half too can we do like favorite dream thing? Does everyone have a favorite thing? I I definitely do. I'll go first. I love the two ships captains that are mice, rats, whatever they are. They're just like so dear. <laughs> I love when they do the very like what am I a uh, cliche thing of um with all due respect, sir, I don't <laughs> think we'll ever find her. It's been eight years and it's been like two seconds since we cut into this thing. And yeah, I just thought they were so cute. I love the way their little mouths move. I And I'm totally okay picking things out of this movie to like relish over the visual details in it because there's so much in it. I think mine is, so there's like a dinner scene between Bella and early on and he like looks down at his plate and the food starts moving and like making noises I think and then later when they're trapped on that island they're kind of going through all of these things that they did and like 
one day we decided to be and have like a front row view to our first dinner together. And then we had to see like their faces on each, which is just, it's odd, but again, it kind of like ties back to that real world occurrence. And it's kind of, it's funny, but it's kind of Yeah, it's the thing in this movie that kind of got me at first is like, oh, this is just some hipster trash. Like, I'm surprised Katie likes this. Uh, and then everything ends up having like just a reserve of like melancholy or sweetness or even with the sort of political context that it's working in something substantial to it so even though it is like a sweeted version of inception you're speaking of michelle gondry um yeah everything ends up sort of but not with purpose in that, like, oh, you can make a one-to-one for things happening, which you kind of can because it's a dream. And I was very, like, kind of mulhole and driving that way. Andrew, what's your what's your jam, your dream jam? I don't know. I find it hard to pick one thing. I just liked a lot of aspects of the production design, really interesting choices. I loved, I actually really love Pebbly's dream room in that. I, I said strawberry milk. It's really like Pepto-Bismol pink uh-huh. room, which I think yeah. is more, which I think is more very consistent with his character, right? Uh, there's something yeah. there's something deceptive about deceptive about him i don't know i just like that i mean i like his little his like very over the top mutiny on the bounty captain's outfit that he's wearing on the ship yeah. <laughs> tassels and epaulets and everything that when he goes back to that room or later on there's this like avalanche of like matte pastel colored plastic containers that rains down on them there's just a lot of cool like production design choices that you know it didn't have to be like this it could have been like this or that and they make some very cool you know that's the kind of stuff that lingers i don't think in a year i'd be able to explain the plot of this movie to anybody but those images are what's gonna like linger in my mind i think and again i love the blue i love that blue demon costume like it's fake yeah, that's what the nine should be but they shouldn't know, be digital they should just look like those fucking things it's scary. They should look like jim henson nightmares it's scary it's like a demonic Krampus pagan god thing with glowing eyes. I don't know what it is. Credit. Oh, you don't think the Navi are scary? Like buffalo head fabricator. Yeah. That's what that is. Yeah. All right. I also I like the salt. I also like the salt. The, the, uh, the ad for salt. That's, that's the other thing I was I was trying to think of is that it reminded me a little bit of like the absurdity, the absurd elements in Mandy. And there's some there's some kind of cosmetos aspects of this film i think but like yeah the, i think the cheddar the they're... cheddar goblin advertisements and mandy it's kind of <laughs> yeah. reminded me of that i think that it's that they're probably coming from some similar places right Even canadian right yeah <laughs> there you go canada listeners of which we have one moment i will see if we're going to insult anyone now i can't see if any of you are from canada but i can see if you listen Canada, and it appears that we can not talk shit about Canada. Why would we want to? We're fans here. Like That's I love Cronenberg. I love Guy Madden. It's you know. yeah. No, it was a compliment that you got. Okay. Very Canadian. Yeah, there's something very Canadian about this. I can't even like I can't even put my finger on it, but I think we all know what what I'm talking. Like it's it's ineffable but distinct. The Canadianness of it all. Um. I am a big fan of Sugar Baby the Turtle. <sighs> the Turtle. I would die so, for it. 
And that's what establishes Preble's like change, right? He goes back for Sugar Baby. Yeah. That's what establishes that he has changed as a human being. You know what I hate? The fly in the spider's web. <laughs> what I about just hate it? it because it like it the texture of it, it doesn't like uh uh not swag. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I I like 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 it, but I don't like it. You know what I mean? A little grotesque. Mm-hmm. I love the tape. I love the like videotape creatures. There's a weird like visual uh, echo between Prebly as the Moss Man, covered in like this green like swamp thing stuff, and then the the tape creatures or creature which shows up a couple times. And I don't ask me to explain what like that symbolizes. It's just, it's just creepy. Like the, the family like ripping out the yeah the fur memories. So, but one of those tape creatures appears early in the film before he even meets Bella. Like there's a flash where he sees one standing in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. They're like in the Wait, forest what? or something, right? Right in the field. There's a um, sense. There's a sense in which like this whole film is like slightly unstable. Like right. Like that. That. Mm-hmm. Even the parts that aren't dreams have a dreamlike quality to them. Yeah, and it's sort of like that it's made of, I don't know, paper mache and scotch tape and like cheap after effects is that it could sort of disintegrate like it eventually kind of does at any moment. That's really charming. I mean, I know it's sort of trying to be charming, so that gives me a little bit of resistance against it, but it is ultimately charming. The score is by Dan Deacon, which was sort of a a sign for me, like, hey, even if you don't like the movie, at least you'll like the music, because I love Dan Deacon. Dan Deacon's been around for probably a couple of decades now. He's a Canadian electronic music artist, but who makes, I don't know how to describe it. Like, some of his music is very childlike, but also very, like, hardcore electronic and he deals in sort of like wonder if you've ever been to one of his shows it's pretty much just him and his board but he purposely turns it into a dance party and like one festival I saw him at he made everyone get into a big circle in the dirt and do like a conga line and a dance competition and while typically I'm the person who's like, leave me out of that because I'm chilling in the back. I don't even want to move. It's hot. He did like, the uh, the music for that documentary, All Light Everywhere, which I know you like. And right? their previous film, Rat Film. And he, I don't know if you guys remember this. You remember Twixt, Francis Ford Coppola's, as of right now, last film. The like weird vampire thing with the fanning <laughs> and Val Kilmer. You are saying it, and I remember it. I did not see it or have any memory of it. It doesn't exist. However, Dan Deacon did the music for it, but Francis Ford Coppola and Dan Deacon did a few shows where Francis Ford Coppola and Dan Deacon live remixed the movie. Where they took, like, the amorphous parts of of, of it or modular parts of it and started moving it around and and creating a like letting the thing be more free form, which is very Dan Deacon and is very interesting because it seems like something Francis Ford Coppola wanted to do before he got, you know, 
godfathered so luckily godfathered like a cut up yeah. like a cut up film kind of thing right yeah and um dan deacon scores a I would say equal parts melancholy and twee, and it's a very dandy and it's it's great. Um, yeah, I, would I, recommend I like the music. I like the music. The album Grumps, in particular the song Snookered. I just want to say that I really I really like the ending. Um, yeah which like is both very romantic and also like very sad at the same time. The idea, and again, I thought, I kept thinking of uh, until the end of the world, the idea of that this is all that, all that Preble was able to say from the burning house was this one tape that he's just going to keep revisiting again and again, because it's the only way he'll be able to, to, to visit with or see Belle again. Sweet, but sad. I love that stuff. Yeah. Give me that sweet, give me that sweet, sad stuff. Salty and sweet, just like, Eating a strawberry mansion. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to thank Katie for um, taking us to the strawberry mansion. How'd you like that one? That one okay? Better? Is that all right? All right. Um, <laughs> but Katie, do me a favor. Will you stick around and play a game? I swear it won't be as fun as strawberry mansion. I'll try. Sure. So here are the rules. By the way, we're going to play known for and we're going to do... The St. Louis Film Critics Association Association winners of 2022. So we're each going to take turns. We're going to give another person an actor. And we have to guess what is they're known for. So the top four films on their IMDb page. So Two wrong guesses, and then we'll give the years of the remaining films. If you can't get there, we'll probably just shout stuff at you, and we'll do a lot of hum and haws. And that's my favorite part, is when people just yell at us, like, you don't remember the Batman? Anyway, if there's any television or voiceover work, please say so before someone starts guessing. Tend to be a little bit. So, I have some people for folks to choose from. So, Katie, as our guest, I am going to let you choose first and then choose which one of us is going to guess. Okay. I'll do Jason Bateman. All right. So I will go ahead and say that I'm going to give Katie Michelle Yeoh and there is no, why did IMDb reformat? There's no television or voiceover. Say, Sean G. Nope. Everything Everywhere? Yep. And it's not typical that something like so new gets up on here, but I guess this is a very special movie. No voiceover. No Kung Fu Panda then. Oh, uh, Crazy Rich Asians. Yes. Okay. 
So you have two more, two also very successful films. Crouching Tiger and Dragon? Yes. Okay. Are you going to get a perfect score? I don't think you will. Yeah, I, I think that's all I got, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Do you want the year? Sure. 1997. That is not helpful. It's not helping, no. I say it's very successful. I don't know that it actually was. I assume that it is because it is a part of a very big franchise. It is a successful, long-standing action franchise. Oh, oh, it's the James Bond movie. It. Yeah. I just rewatched it earlier this year too. Oh my god. <laughs> Well, now I feel bad. No, like I would never. I, I think this is probably one of the last James Bond movies titles that I would remember. It is a good title. It's a, one of those completely nonsensical James Bond titles that still sounds cool. It sounds cool as shit. It means nothing. <laughs> I really did just watch this not too long ago. Okay, uh, world is not enough. Oh, you're so close. It's not that one. That is also the title vibe. This one has Terry Hatcher in it. Yeah, I, I can remember the movie now. I just have no idea what it's called. <laughs> just reinforces that all James Bond titles are kind of indistinguishable. Like, you can just swap them back and forth and it really doesn't matter. Funny. Yeah, there's a China between, there's a war between China and the UK in order to obtain exclusive global media coverage. That does not sound James Bondy. I'm totally blanking on it. All right. This is Tomorrow Never Dies. I'm sorry. <laughs> like Jonathan Price as the villain, right? Like a media mogul villain. If, yes, yes. I don't think I've ever seen it, but now I'm kind of curious because Michelle Yeoh and Jonathan Price get me curious. Also, Ricky Jay is like fifth build, so... <laughs> It does have a kind of, for a James Bond film, it does have a kind of like forward thinking premise where like the oh, control control yeah. of like war media narrative, or maybe it's retro, like, you know, kind of a Hearst thing, like like control of the war media narrative is like driving the plot. I don't know. Yeah, like the MacGuffin is something that has actually ruined the entire world. <laughs> We're going to let Andrew pick next and you're going to quiz him on his pick. Hmm. I'll do Sarah Polly. Um, I, but wait, wait a minute. Is the question, can, am I allowed to know whether these are acting movies so, or directing movies? It is all acting credits. It is IMDb. So I'm going to guess Dawn of the Dead is one of them. Yep. Okay. Yep. Then I guess Sweet Hereafter. Yeah. What are you laughing at? <laughs> I'm laughing because like I would never like be able to pull any of these out of my head. I would have flopped on this one. Yeah. Uh, the, too, well, those are, those are the gimmies. Now comes the harder parts. Go was go one of them. Yeah. Okay. Now the last one, one more. Yeah, the last one's gonna be hard. Give me the year. You want the year already? You don't want to try for a perfect score. Hang on, hang on. Let me think. Yeah, give me the year. I'm never going to pull it out of my ass. 2003. Oh, man. I'm going to be kicking myself, aren't I? This was a 
like awards buzzy, like lower tier, it's entirely possible that this movie could have gotten her in the race, but it never ended up happening. It's a small movie and she is the star of it. She is a star, okay. And there are two male actors who are in it that I had no idea they were in it. <laughs> uh, I'm blanking, honestly. I have no idea. I was, I was doing so well there for a minute, and now I'm, now I'm kind of blank. If I told you it's based on the book by a, a book called Pretending the Bed is a Raft, does that help you any? No, it does not. I'm sure it's a great book. I'm sorry. I'm just after it's it. A that's a, that is a bad title. All right. Should we give it to him, Katie? Yeah. It is My Life Without Me. Have not seen that. So. I have seen <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah. That's, that I've is never seen whew, it. right over I my remember head. It. I me- remember people talking about, like, she, she was just a couple of years away from making a way from her. Away with? away from her Mm -hmm. but this was sort of a level up for her as far as critical attention oh it's isabel quicksett okay um i know the filmmaker i didn't i didn't i've never heard of this movie though the two dudes in it i was talking about scott speedman but i was also more talking about mark ruffalo's in it and debbie harry weird and amanda Plummer and maria de medeiros two pulp fictions very indie feels very indie 2003 casts true true okay i believe the last choice is mine so i get to choose between brendan fraser and colin farrell because i think it'll be more fun brendan all right and first guess is the mummy <laughs> you got it Okay, so all of these are films. No, no voiceover um, credits, no TV, all acting film roles. The Mummy is your gimme, right? I guess. And I feel like I had so many other ones in my head, and now they're all gone. <laughs> Encino Man? Nope. Okay, the next one is just because, like, awards attention. Gods and Monsters? Nope. Okay, give me the years. Wow, failed so fast. Two th- uh, let's do them in chronological order. Okay. Another 1999 film. In addition Blast to from the past. past. Yes, good. Oh, yes, very okay. good. And then 2001 and 2004. Is the fucking mummy seat, is the mummy returns on this? Yes. God damn it. <laughs> That's 2001 and then 2004. No. Wait. No. Wait. <laughs> is it? Is it? It isn't, right? Is it Crash? Yes, it's Crash. Fuck. <laughs> I didn't even remember he was in it. I had to have no memory of him in that movie. I remember it only because I worked at Blockbuster when it came out and Whatever company distributed it, remember it was like a really small company. It was kind of wild that they managed to get a Best Picture nomination, let alone, yeah, thanks, Oprah and Roger Ebert. 
he was one of the people on the DVD cover and I worked at Blockbuster and we had some sort of exclusive deal and had like 300 copies of Crash for no good reason <laughs> and ended up selling most of those for like $2.99. Anyway, yeah, wild. I guess not. So I guess we'll wait. It was Lion. It was Lionsgate. I think like it was one of their first big. Yeah, games. it was. It was, but it was some like Lionsgate ended up doing some sort of bigger distribution. It's like R E J or some. I don't know. Probably Pack Shelter. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Very good. Thank you so much, Katie. Thank you so much for your pick and sticking around and talking about all this junk with us. We'll have to have you back on and please bring the strange again. Your website is katieatthemovies.com and you cover God, everything. everything. <laughs> how are you so, how? How do you do it? I don't know. It's better to do. You go to, you go to a lot of fests too. Like you do festival coverage. Yeah, that's kind of a new thing for me this year that has been interesting. <laughs> yeah next time you come in we'll have to pick your brain about your toronto journey i'm sure it was so much fun i'm so jealous i've never been but yeah like there um you've got reviews of some things that haven't come out yet so if you want to preview katie covered the toronto international film festival on our website katie what are your social media handles again yeah i think i think my name's different on everything it's so annoying <laughs> i have an instagram which is katie at the movies my Twitter is KDL underscore Carter. And I think my letterbox is just my name. I think that's it. Well, thank you so much for coming on and, and uh, dealing with the two of us. It was a pleasure. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. We close out with one more thing. You'd think we you know, we would be talked out talking about all this stuff, but we just want to talk more. <laughs> so we're recording this episode a little early because I am going to be in Paris for Christmas. How do you like that? <laughs> I'm jealous. Paris, I mean, it's like... Doesn't it sound kind of perfect? You're, right, you're writing your own rom-com here. What's, what is it? <laughs> um, City of Romance, but with my, my longtime partner. So, um, ew. Ew, how old am I? You let me see. You can hear me downstairs too. Anyway, so this episode might actually come out after this thing has happened, so it kind of counts. So ne having never been to Paris and, and being the film nerd that I am, I am demanding one stop. And the one stop that I'm going to do is the Cinematheque Francais, home or origin point of so many things that are very important to me and I we talked about during our Cannes Film Festival series that particular boyfriend that I'm talking about was so, on it talking about this thing so yeah this is very so this is a this is a pilgrimage in it is a pilgrimage yeah. of sorts yeah so they're actually doing a series right now of the French New Wave and I was like oh my god how fucking perfect on the 26th they have a showing of Jacques Rivette's first film, Paris Belongs to Us. I'm like, how perfect is this? <laughs> I get to, mm. Then Victor reminds me, he says, you know there won't be subtitles, right? I'm like, oh, yes, yes, yes. We're in France and it's a French movie. 
Does that matter? I won't. We'll say that's so immersion. We'll say in my head, immersion. it doesn't matter. It's a Jacques Rivette film. So it's just, it, it's a lot <laughs> of talking. And then I looked at the calendar. I scrolled up. Somehow I missed it. Choi Hawk. Three of his Detective D films <laughs> in three fucking D. <laughs> And, and this has been said, like your jam for 2020. It's like East Asia. Isn't this a great capper? Genre this films. is the director whose films I've seen the most of this year. I looked at my stats on Letterboxd. I've seen 15 of his films. Wow. Yes. And that, was, that, was that by design? Like, did you get, go into this making him a project or it just kind of came out that way? No. So all this Hong Kong stuff came out of my uh, Robert Classic French Festival talk about Irma Vep, a French film that has Hong Kong on its mind. And in my research, like you just end up, anytime you're going into this era of Hong Kong, you're going to get near Choi Hawk at some point because he was such a big producer, but he was also a prolific, prolific writer and director and he acted too. And the first one that I watched was Green Snake and starring Maggie Chung as like a, a ghost demon snake. <laughs> no, literally, like at some point her demon uh snake legs come out it's it's a wild movie and i didn't like it <laughs> and now that i've seen 14 other troy movies i'm like i have to go back and watch that something was wrong with me um but he's just he sort of reminds me of de palma he doesn't have the same sort of filmic and thematic preoccupations but i get the same sort of like thrill from his films so right up your alley is what you're saying yes 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 and yes, now I am very accidentally in love with Joy Hawk. But that, um, there's so something, yeah. there's something, if there's something a little too postcard perfect about going to Paris at Christmas and seeing Rivette, like the twist, adding the very modern twist of, oh, but I'm not going to Paris to see a French film. I'm going to Paris to see a bunch of schlocky Hong Kong action genre films. Yeah. It's my Irma Vette moment. That's, that's your twist. Um, so I'm jealous. you can follow along with those. Hey, I'm on and off social media these days. I, I'm off Twitter. Back on it for a day. Well, I mean, Twitter is burning oh. right now. So like you stepped yeah. onto Twitter, you might catch on fire. One thing, <laughs> right. <laughs> I One thing you'll, you'll definitely probably always be able to find me on Letterbox at Crispy Retinas. And it's a shot in the dark if you can find me at Crispy Retinas anywhere else. But you can try. Andrew? Do you have something you're looking forward to that you've already done? Uh, not looking forward to it, but I'm deep in the third season of the Apple TV Plus series Mythic Quest, which I've liked a lot from the first two seasons. I'm really glad they renewed it for a third. This is Rob McElhenney's uh, from Always Sunny, his uh, series that he's produced through Apple and Ubisoft about um, a software company, about a video game company. It's kind of a workplace comedy thing. It's not what I would call like cutting edge comedy, but one of the things I really like about it is it very much commits to the bit of being an old school workplace comedy, which is just like every episode is just like tomfoolery of people being like stupid and short-sighted and misoverhearing things and like misunderstanding each other's motives and just kind of backbiting and backstabbing. It also has like a, like a solid shot of 
modern uh, sitcom wholesomeness on top of that, which is kind of interesting. But it isn't like making wholesomeness its brand the way that like The Good Place or Ted Lasso does. It's it just has kind of a shot of wholesomeness on top of it. And the third season is kind of cool, kind of a cool sort of return for them. Um, the end of the second season, they kind of blew up the premise of the show. They had the two main characters sort of leave the company and go off to start their own company. And then they, with the third season, without spoiling anything, they kind of like, they don't reset everything, but they managed to make like a, create a situation where the characters are sort of still stuck in some ways and trying to break free. For me, the, the, the it has a great cast. Um, Rob McAhoney and David Hornsby from Always Sunny. Charlotte Nickdow, who's an Australian comedian. She's the other lead with Rob. Uh, Jesse Ennis from Better Call Saul, if you've seen her. Ashley Birch, who you, everybody, a lot of people know is a great voiceover actor. She also does stand-up. This is a great like, comedic role for her. But really the heart of the show for me is the relationship between the two main characters. Rob's character, Ian, not Ian, Ian Grimm, who is the creator of this massively popular fantasy online role-playing game and so he's sort of the the brain trust the ideas man and then his lead engineer poppy played by charlotte nickdow who is like the tech girl software engineer the developer of the entire thing their professional relationship between each other and their their tug of war between their very strong personalities is sort of the heart and soul of the show and i've always really liked how the creators are very committed to treating it as a professional relationship. There's never been like even an intimation of a romantic relationship between them, which I think is the way like, you know, 20, 30 years ago, the, the sitcom would have eventually introduced by the third season. They're definitely would have introduced like romantic complications into their relationship. Yeah. And it's very much a workplace show about their, their tug and push and pull. So third season in, and it feels just as strong as it ever has. And I'm really, I still really enjoy it. It's a good sort of old, like I said, it's a good sort of old school workplace sitcom. Um, that doesn't take itself too seriously, but also has like a just enough heart to make it work. So uh, streaming now, uh, Apple TV Plus uses kind of the, the the same model that Disney Plus does, where they actually and HBO does, where they're actually still sticking to the weekly release pattern, unlike some of these streamers who just sort of drop everything all at once. So it does make a good show to sort of you can either watch it as it goes along or just come in at the end and binge the whole damn thing. So very cool. Yeah, I I've seen the very first episode. And I think I I need to give it more time because just on a first blush, like that scene, you know, is not really my thing. Um, and for me to get invested in TV at this point, you got to really get me going. Uh, but I know like people fucking love this show. So I'm going to have to give it a, another shot. It, it does help if you are a gamer, I think, yeah. like to watch it. Yeah. But I don't think it is dependent on that. Like, in the same way that like you can watch Ted Lasso without knowing the first thing about soccer. <laughs> Very good. Well, um, that's something to do on a 14 hour plane ride, maybe <laughs> times two. So yeah, maybe that's what I'll do. Uh, you can find me on Twitter while it's still standing at Arachnophiliac and on Letterboxd at AY at 76. Very cool. And then you can find all of us at cinemastlouis.org over at the lens. Everyone is enjoying their holiday. Hopefully you get some time off to relax and uh, you know, de-stress. Watch Strawberry Mansion. I don't know, maybe I'm stressing people. I think it might. Some people will find it very mellow. Some people will find it very stressful.
find it like yeah. what the hell am I watching? What's happening? What's going on? Well, anxiety and you can also anticipate our picks, which are I don't, I don't know, know yet. <laughs> well, I thought you would finally said. Alright, my pick is Claire to be Stars at Noon. You can find on Hulu. As it turns out, you could immediately find it on anyway, I won't go into it. And I think it's gonna be a good it's gonna be a good one to talk about because I think you and I both love it a lot. And I do think we're in the minority in that of the two yeah. Claire Denis films, it seems like most seem people seem to prefer both sides of the blade from this year. So here here's the thing. I know this is our outro, but um uh uh on film comments list, Stars at Noon was in the top 20. But then you look at something like Slant Magazine, both sides of the blade was in the top 10. Stars at Noon was nowhere else. Hmm. So, well. I think you're saying that we're more film comment than we are Slant. Is that what we're saying here? Maybe so. Which scans? I think that scans. Does it? I don't know. <laughs> I think we're more. So, catch up with Stars at Noon, watch Strawberry Mansion. We will be having a guest, and um, that's Jason Bollinger from the Cinema Spin podcast. He's going to visit us in January. Sure, they ordered these episodes yet, so please hold on those. Um, but he's picked Emily the Criminal. Plus, at some point, we're going to do some top 10 shows. Yeah, at some point, yeah. Fans of ours. It may not know. be till mid January, but yeah. <laughs> Fans of ours know there's a, a few that if you haven't seen, probably won't catch up. But until then, have yourself a merry little Christmas. Oh. It, I guess it will be a song every time. Oh.